Welcome to the 25th episode of Tokenizing Everything, our weekly interview series with thought leaders in the blockchain industry. Today's guest is Paul Otto, managing partner at F5 Crypto, and I will talk with him about the current crypto markets and tokenizing everything, of course. Before we begin, I have to mention all opinions are solely personal and do not reflect the opinion of Amazing Blocks or any other involved parties. So, Paul, pleasure to have you here today. How are you? Hello, Nicholas. Great to be on the show. Excited. Yeah, likewise. Um, I think you have some, some great stuff to share. Would you maybe start by, by giving a brief introduction of yourself? Sure. So I'll start with uh, my studies. I studied math and computer science in Berlin, in Germany. And after my studies, I emigrated to Edinburgh, Scotland. And why did I emigrate? Well, the reason is Scotland is a more free country when it comes to online gambling, because I used to be an online professional poker player for many years. So my time in Edinburgh, I spent there playing professional poker and building a poker business that built a community, built a coaching team of educating other people how to make money playing poker online in a fully legitimate sense, not the kind of poker you play underground in a basement with guns on the table, but the kind of mathematical poker where you run the numbers and you do everything safely from home. And while being very active in the poker universe for many years, I slowly got wind of cryptocurrencies first as just a speculative asset, but then as an actual use case for transferring money around the world more seamlessly than using the banking system. And with my kind of mathematical computer science background, I found it extremely interesting. So around 2014, 15, 16, I really started ingesting a lot of crypto content, like what is Bitcoin mining? What are private keys, public keys? How does this all work? And then I got interested in what actually is the banking system? Like, how does that even work? And then I got more and more into it and I got more and more excited by what Bitcoin is and how it works and how it's going to shape the future uh, that we live in. Now, what I actually do today in 2017, 18, I got together with a bunch of guys and we all believed from coming from different backgrounds that crypto is the future. Cryptocurrencies will become a new asset class. It will become a staple investment, just like real estate, just like public companies, there will be crypto. And we want together through a new company, try to make that vision happen more quickly. And this is how we founded F5 Crypto Capital, the company I'm now a CEO at, which is situated back in Berlin. And this is what I do now, day in and day out, try to make crypto more accessible, explain crypto to professionals out there. Okay, very interesting. So a very, you know, unusual path, I think, for, for people, you know, that, that, that join the space, most people come from the traditional finance sector. So it's cool that, to see that there's also, you know, people from the poker side of it uh, coming there. So maybe just to dive right into this, this, this poker topic, um, what interests me is, is, do you see any synergies between, let's say, on the one hand, uh, poker, and on the other hand, crypto and blockchain, this entire ecosystem? And if so, what kind of synergies? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of similarities between being a professional poker player and being a, let's call it crypto enthusiast, crypto investor, crypto aficionado. And the first thing is both are open, right? So if you want to play poker, there's nothing stopping you. Anyone anywhere in the world, well, 
using you know an internet connection and a computer is able to play poker for free with uh, play money that that's how i started i didn't put any money into it i just started playing for free and the exact same thing is true for crypto projects blockchain projects right you can get some free testnet bitcoin to play around experience the technology you can download any wallet uh, that you want of any cryptocurrency and just use it so the first similarity it's it's open anyone can do it no one's holding you back the second similarity is that it's kind of leaderless so in online poker there is no boss that will hire you there if you want to play in a casino or on a on an online casino website well there might be nowadays be some pretty rigid kyc checks but in general you can just uh, go there and there's no boss there's no one telling you you cannot play this game but you can play the other game uh, and there's no leaders that tell you this is the right strategy or this is the wrong strategy. Um, it's it's leaderless. It's decentralized uh, in a sense. And of course, in blockchain is exactly the same thing. Well, certain projects are maybe more centralized than others. But of course, you could say some poker rooms or have some bosses that kick you out <laughs> from playing potentially. Uh, so, so that's the second similarity. The third one, third similarity between poker and, and crypto is, and I don't mean this lightly it's it's wild so in poker i've met people that have made millions very quickly and then lost millions very quickly i've met people in crypto who especially right now they come with very little money and they make millions we'll see how long they last <laughs> um, at the same time whenever there's some wild things going on there's also some very reliable and solid people involved right so for example when i played poker professionally around about five six maybe seven or eight years i lost money only one month one month out of those seven or eight years wow. i actually lost money so that can tell you that even though it can be wild it doesn't have to be you can be a responsible uh poker player and the exact same thing of course is true in crypto there will be the crazy stories they make the headlines that exchange got hacked that person is investing in random coin xyz and made a million overnight of course that will happen but they're also very reliable and consistent crypto investors which make more or less consistent uh, good decisions and and don't gamble and this is of course what we're trying to do at f5 crypto as well we are running our own company portfolio investing in crypto assets and we're trying not to be so wild yeah i think you definitely uh, have a good a good point there that uh, a lot of people should listen to right that it's not so much solely about these these so-called hype coins and i, I don't want to get into this too much right but um like uh, the recent crazes with uh coin shiba Inu, and so on but uh, yeah you have to be strategic and then definitely it's a, a wild industry may not even be so wild anymore right if you have a, a good and thought through strategy and i think and we'll definitely get into this a bit further in a second but you guys are doing a, a good job at this um so maybe just quickly something that also interests me on that regard do you believe in the future payments within the online poker ecosystem will run on, on crypto i mean i'm pretty sure it's it, the answer is quite obvious but just want to hear your take on that yes so i think any online business at some point has to ask themselves are we going to accept payment in crypto and of course it's typically a trade-off there's some costs involved to setting it all up to maintaining it and there's the obvious benefit that a few customers are going to spend extra money on your business if you allow them to 
And some of the first adopters of online crypto payments are the gambling sites because there are large capital uh, amounts involved. And also, of course, there's capital movement involved that maybe the banks will block, that maybe regulators have put extra scrutiny upon. So there are some, let's call them lightly regulated uh, online websites, online gambling websites that accept uh, crypto deposits and crypto withdrawals and that are operational since years using that without any major issues. And I think there are even online gambling sites that work exclusively in cryptocurrency. Those tend to not be regulated at all, which is a little bit more dubious, but they do exist, of course. But I think in the long run, every online business has to accept crypto payments in, in some way. I mean, why would they not? Yeah, yeah, definitely fully agree on that regard. Um, otherwise, they probably will not last uh, too much longer in the future. So... Yeah, uh, talking about your path from poker to blockchain, you, you kind of briefly described it, but something I, I was also interested in is, you know, people sometimes describe a, a certain wow moment, so to say, or I've also had people on the show that described several wow moments. Um, what was this moment for you where you really, you know, I mean, we all know this point, uh, and from that point until today, we, we're all in this space, and what was this moment for you, maybe? Right, so one one moment I... I remember vividly is when I realized the concept of unit of account and that I was previously unaware of it. But once you're aware of it, that there's actually no such thing as a price, everything is completely relative. But let me try to explain what that means. Right now, most likely when you think about any financial asset, even about any physical asset, you may assign to it a price. And that price is usually done in your unit of account, right? So if you're in Europe, that will be in euros. You say, my car, maybe it's worth 5,000 euros. My house, maybe it's worth 100,000 euros. And my Bitcoin, maybe it's worth 40,000 euros. That's how you think. That, that's how you think about prices, about the valuation. If you live in the US, of course, you're most likely going to use dollars. And again, between euros and dollars, it's not such a big difference. But this is just the measuring stick you use to measure value. And you don't have to. And I think a lot of kids kind of do this intuitively when they're like, well, my mom gave me 20 euros to go to the movies and it's actually worth two movie tickets. So they're going to have this unit of account uh, in their mind of like movie tickets. Oh, my grandma gave me 50 euros. That's worth five movie tickets. And actually you can use any unit of account and there's nothing stopping you from saying how much is one US dollar worth? How much is one euro worth in a different measuring stick? And that measuring stick, of course, from a Bitcoiner's perspective, would be obviously Bitcoin, because that's the more, <laughs> more stable, more reliable currency to compare things to. Obviously, it's not very stable uh, compared to other goods right now, but that's the, the general idea. So I had this wow moment of like, I've been using this measuring stick of euros or dollars my whole life, but I don't have to. There's nothing that there's no unique measuring stick for anything. All the prices are relative between all the things. You can measure housing prices in gold. They're much more stable that way. Why don't you measure everything in gold, right? So that, that's kind of my wow moment. There's no preferred currency at all. It's all relative and currency systems can switch and will switch um, throughout history. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, that's uh, another great point from you. And uh, I think it, people that may maybe new to the space will now maybe after this uh, have a, a better understanding as to why, you know, even crypto has a value, so to say, right? And yeah, so what I found interesting when I when I kind of 
went through your, your social media was a, a recently made statement from you where you say every electrical heater could eventually be replaced by an old inefficient Bitcoin miner. Could you maybe elaborate on that statement a, a bit? And maybe then as a follow-up, do you believe this will actually come to fruition? That kind of all these smaller devices will eventually mine crypto? Yeah, so let me give some background before I talk about the actual thing. So there's a huge discussion in crypto about the energy consumption of Bitcoin mining and, of course, other cryptocurrency mining to some degree. And it's a, I mean, it's a discussion that we will have for the foreseeable future. It's not going to go away no matter how much anybody dislikes it or how much the points keep being repeated. I do think it's quite important to have the correct macro framework, though. And the right macro view is humanity, ever since it stopped running around in the wilderness without aim, has been using more and more energy for anything it does, right? We found fire, then we burned down all the forests, then we found coal, now we're burning through all the coal, and now we're finding, of course, solar and hydro and maybe nuclear power. But ever since our energy consumption has been going exponential, and that is first and foremost good because that means we're making progress. That means we're living in better living conditions. That means we're industrializing, we're living healthier and longer lives. Uh, the poverty around the world is dropping rapidly and this is all because we're consuming more energy. So as a super baseline, energy consumption is a good thing. Okay, now of course there are negative side effects with dirty energy and that's of course something we have to address. But just as a fundamental thing to say, Bitcoin uses energy and that's not okay, that's wrong because things that use energy, well, they do that because that's beneficial to humanity. Yeah. Okay, so let's go more specifically about the question, right? Mm, can we use Bitcoin equipment for heating or, or what's going on there? So there's three things uh, to understand. The first is what is Bitcoin mining actually? And it's just a little machine that turns electricity into heat. That's really all it is. And while it's doing that through some electrical circuits, it's securing a global financial ledger. Okay, now the second thing to understand is what is electrical heating? Well, this one is, I think, quite easy to understand. If you turn on your shower, you have hot water that gets heated somewhere. Maybe it's using gas, maybe it's using coal, maybe it's using nuclear, but it's using some sort of energy. And uh, that energy, of course, could also be expressed as electricity otherwise. So now the third thing to understand, well, you have some devices that turn energy into heat and they generate some economic value. And then you have some process that turns energy into heat that more or less everybody uses, like heating, right? If you cook, if you use a hot shower, you use heating. Why would you not combine those? That makes perfect sense. So I think in the long run, it's kind of inevitable that any sort of heating system, any system that turns electricity or uh, other energy purely into heat can in between use that energy to also secure the Bitcoin network. Now, your final question was, is when is that happening, <laughs> right? Can we stop the wasteful mining and instead only mine with uh, heat sources that, that we otherwise already use anyway? And the answer is, well, I do not have a, a timeline there. There's, of course, some problems. Uh, one is the Bitcoin miner has a few more circuits than like a electrical heater, right? A heater is just one circuit idealized that, that the electricity runs through and it gets hot. The Bitcoin miner is a little bit more complicated, so uh, it costs more money. That's what that means. Um, and the second problem is the Bitcoin miner needs to be online. And the third problem is it needs to be controlled. There needs to be a mining pool or some other controller connected to it. 
So that's why I said in the tweet, old Bitcoin miners, because the prices for old Bitcoin miners are converging on zero using old Bitcoin mining equipment purely for Bitcoin mining purposes is simply not profitable anymore. But if the electricity is so unfree because you would otherwise use it for heating, then of course it would make sense to use that in a heating arrangement. Okay, now how practical is that? Will there be companies that, that implement such things? I do think it's actually already happening. Um, the example would be a large public swimming pool that is heating their water. Right. So if you have an indoor swimming pool or perhaps partially outdoor swimming pool, you have a temperature range that you want to keep the water at. I don't know what it is. Let's say 18 degrees. If the outside temperature is lower than that, you need to heat the water. And this is a large energy demand. Water has a very high uh, specific heat capacity. You need a lot of heat to uh, heat up water. So in that situation, they're going to use a lot of electricity to heat the water. So they have a large incentive to buy up old Bitcoin mining equipment to get a little bit of a let's call it cash back on the electricity invested. Uh, so I do think this will happen. Uh, will it be every heater globally? I'm not sure, but in general, this is the way we're going that m a lot less of the energy that Bitcoin is using to secure the network will be wasted. It will just be, let's call it doubly used. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's definitely something that will, if somehow possible to implement in the future, can definitely kind of, at least to a certain extent, silence the, the doubters, right? And, and hence uh, also be an efficient tool to, yes, you want to say something? The, you will not never silence the doubters, but we can sure. <laughs> get the reasonable people uh, to see things uh, as they really are. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So maybe at, at, at this stage, uh, maybe a quick take on, on what's, what's, what's happened recently with, with, with Tesla and Elon Musk making that statement on that they now will stop accepting Bitcoin as a payment. I mean, some people argue, okay, well, it was a marketing gag, gag from the start anyway, and uh, there's no way they didn't know this and, and so on. Others say, yeah, maybe they dug deeper into this. Others then argue, maybe he's uh, trying to manipulate the market. What is your take on, on that uh, statement that he made and the decision by Tesla? Yeah, so Elon's company Tesla uh, said they will accept Bitcoin as payment for new cars which was a very big announcement because that is the perhaps first very large public company that uh, made such an announcement. I assume many will follow, but that being the first obviously is big news. However, recently uh, Elon tweeted that they will stop accepting Bitcoin payments and he put like an official statement, nothing too personal that said the reason is Bitcoin is perhaps responsible for too much environmental damage and they do not intend to support that. Now, that statement has sparked a lot of speculation as you just went over. I do not have a conclusive uh, theory on what's actually going on. There's speculation that Elon said this because he was pressured by environmental subsidies to Tesla. So there's just a financial incentive. Maybe they're in discussion for getting subsidy for electric cars that he you know, needs to play ball with. There is speculation that Elon is playing a 7D chess move of manipulating the markets and increasing their balance sheet, which, I mean, who knows if, if you're the richest man in the world and you have a lot of influence, maybe you are using your influence to, to some degree. Uh, I, I do not have a working model. I do think though, or I do know that Tesla has been using the BTC pay server, uh, open source software to accept Bitcoin payments. And some of the Tesla engineers, software engineers have given feedback to 
this open uh, open source software to improve it. They have said, you know, there are some vulnerabilities, maybe fix that. So Tesla engineers have actively improved open source Bitcoin software. And that's a great positive. And you can't undo that, right? No matter what you do, the Bitcoin ecosystem is growing stronger and you can't uh, undo that by not accepting payments now. Besides that, I think it's very difficult to speculate what's really going on. Does Elon understand Bitcoin and mining and environmental impact? Well, he's a very smart guy, but of course, no person understands everything perfectly. How much is it's Elon decisions? How much many other board members are involved? I could speculate as well as others have done on Twitter, but I, I do not have a working model that <laughs> I can promote here. It's uh, We'll see what happens. I, I remain, of course, quite positive, but in the short term, anything may happen. Yeah, I think that was a, a good statement, right? Um, no one really knows what's what's happening behind closed doors, but uh, we can all just make assumptions. And I think you kind of summarized them uh, quite well. So since you're already at this, uh, you know, kind of mining topic, I would just like to insert uh, the being crypto special question, you know, the, the weekly question that the community there poses to, to my guests. And, and this week's question was, what is your take on China's dominance in actually mining Bitcoin so far? And then what do you think this will look like in the future? Okay, so Bitcoin uh, mining is measured in hash rate. That's basically how many blocks are coming from what area of the world. Now blocks are usually the origin identified by IP addresses, but they're not very reliable as it's a decentralized network. So the first question is always, well, where is the Bitcoin mining actually come from? Nobody really knows. Of course, there's some good investigative reporting from universities into that. So it's probably true that most Bitcoin mining is done in China. But that's the first question. Like, is that actually true? <laughs> what What's going on? Okay, then the second thing is usually Chinese Bitcoin mining is a, a negative point that people say China has too much control, the, the Bitcoin network, haha, decentralized, it's all in China. And the answers to that, I mean, they have been discussed a lot. And basically, my view is it doesn't matter. The Bitcoin miners are servicing the network. They are servants of the network. They have to adhere to the rules. It doesn't matter where they are. It, Bitcoin does not care. So that, that will be the short answer. Otherwise, you said, what will be the future of mining? Well, as we talked about, right, as mining will be commoditized, that means the advantage that manufacturers have right now over the common man will disappear, right? So think about it when salt was a super rare commodity, there was the salt miners, they were rich and people were like, oh, salt is centralized to the hands of a few traders. But now salt is commoditized. You can buy salt basically anywhere in the world for an extremely cheap price. And I believe the same thing will happen to Bitcoin mining. Right now, the Bitcoin mining equipment producers are in China. And of course, the businesses using them are then also Chinese. But in the long run, that will commoditize. Anyone will be able to mine, especially if they have heat or heating electricity that is otherwise unused. So I think in the long run, it will uh, disperse around the planet wherever there is uh, excess energy available. Yeah, I think uh, that uh, yeah this sums it up uh, quite well because no one, as you mentioned, can know for sure where, where the power is coming from. And I think even if uh, some of them were to shut down, which obviously I think it happened a few weeks or months ago, right? 
um, with that power outage in, in some Chinese, I think, area. And, and still, obviously, the network will continue to prevail. And it's, it's probably just other miners from other jurisdictions and locations kind of taking over that, that workload, so to say. So um, let's, let's dive into F5 crypto a bit. Um, can you maybe share some, some insights as to which kind of products you guys offer? And also what, what interests me as well is, is you say that you have crypto expertise from Germany since 2013. So can you, can you shed some, some light on that regard as well? Okay, let's start with the dates. So I've been reading and learning about Bitcoin and, and perhaps investing since 2013. However, our company F5 Crypto has been founded in 2018. So we have experience since then, but the company is comparably uh, fresh. <laughs> uh, the thing we have mostly done since incorporation is consulting. So we advise investors, we advise professionals on what's going on and or help them realize projects. And this goes basically all the way from what is blockchain? Is this important or is this just nonsense? And goes very fairly deeply into, can you do a report for us on Chainlink? We're interested in Chainlink. Can, can you create a professional report on that? And we've helped private individuals as well as companies uh, to draft or, or make plans how to realize crypto projects. So um, one project or we've done several projects, although um, none, not one of them has been finishing with amazing, great success, but has been tokenization projects. So this means create a new company or tokenize uh, existing assets so that the ownership is represented digitally instead of, well, in the real paper world. And next to all of this consulting and advisory work uh, that we're doing, our big plan is always to establish crypto as an asset class. That means make it investable, make it accessible to the big players, right? So 2013 to 2019, 2020, most of the action in the crypto markets is driven in this decentralized retail space, right? You will have a few professional players and rich players in it, but just like hedge funds, but there's no big bank. There's no big public company. And this is changing now, right? 2020, December-ish was kind of the turning point with MicroStrategy, a public company in the US announcing they're buying Bitcoin on their official public company balance sheet. Like that's a game changer. That's what was our thesis all along. And this is where we want to push the asset class into. So our main focus now is to make crypto accessible to those institutional players by offering investment products to them. So we want to start a, an investable crypto fund in Germany that's completely legally possible for those kind of players to get started very interesting and this will definitely be a you know an even more seamless entry point into this space so so uh really looking forward to this uh, project coming to fruition and also what i read is that you have a so-called crypto index can you maybe share some light on it because i, I believe you have a very interesting strategy as, as to how this index is structured yes yeah, so we've been working with uh, professor ellender from the Humboldt University in Berlin. Uh, we've, we've been partnered for a very long time. And one of our research together was how to create an investable crypto index. So a financial product that is not, that, that is scientifically sound. It's a strategy that is calculated based on momentum factor, liquidity of the underlying assets. So it's a, a scientifically sound 
a strategy, a, a scientifically sound index, but also, and this is where, where our financial side uh, expertise comes in, it's an actual investable and uh, producible or um, like it's an index or a strategy that you can reproduce in the real world. There are a lot of investment strategies that are just not reproducible where, you know, it tells you to buy some coins that are simply not listed on the exchange or that you cannot store uh, with a regulated custodian or that you cannot store in, in multi-sig. And basically the way we develop the index, it's a scientifically sound uh, investment strategy that generates alpha, hopefully, but so far it has been. And it's actually investable, tradable, uh, storable, custodiable. And this is what uh, we've been working on and which will be part of the fund that we're planning to launch. Very interesting, I think. You know, there's a lot of interesting developments in regards to generally indexed uh, coins, even like Bassett coins and so on that I also personally find, find quite interesting because I think today I read that it's... Uh, Roughly like 10,000 different coins now on coin market cap or coins and tokens, so to say. Um, and it, it's just crazy, right? Seeing the space develop from, I remember, you know, around 2000, 3000 at the most back in 2017 and so. And now we have this, this large amount, which <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how, how this plays out, though. But obviously, not, not one single person can keep track of all of this. So, very interesting, you know, project that you have there. So um, as we come to the end of this conversation, uh, one final question I have for you, and, and I always have this, this kind of question for my guests is, where do you personally see the crypto and blockchain industry in, in say 10 years from now? Right, so I think we're in the process of digitizing all human information systems. So what that means is humanity uses a lot of information systems to organize itself. That is things like dates, like today is a specific date, according to some calendar, calendar is an information system. And that, you know, used to be inscribed on some sort of walls and then on some kind of paper. And now it's all digital. And now maybe we live in a time where timing is more <laughs> referenced by the block height of the Bitcoin blockchain, not by everyone, but potentially. And in the same way, I see a lot of information systems being digitized that is identity, that is, of course, money itself with Bitcoin and Ether being used as currency, that is ownership structures. So who owns what? Right now, it's typically done in some government agencies. It's done through the court system. But we're digitizing that. We're, through tokenization, putting ownership um, online. And I think the biggest shift that we will see is that all of those systems will start to digitize and some will fully digitize to the point that children no longer understand the analog. And so let, let me give you a, um, an example there. And this one is, I think has been said by other people, but uh, daddy, uh, what is this paper with those numbers on that you keep in a box? And you say, oh, that's analog money. That's what we used in the past. And those people on there, uh, they are dead, but we used to pay with that in the shop. And the children, they will think like, what does that even mean? That doesn't, that they cannot comprehend how that makes any sense. Why would an informational system such as value or, or money more specifically have a physical form? Like they, they can't imagine how that would be possible. So I think in the next 10 years, uh, the full digitization of money and ownership will uh, proceed very quickly and rapidly as it's just so much more efficient and so, so huge benefits to just everybody involved. 
Yeah, I think that that, that last example that you give it, it it always shows you know when when people use these type of examples that uh, someone is really deep into the space and, and and really understands it and can explain it to a six year old so to say and uh, it's, there's the saying you shouldn't use words that you can't explain so um, it, it was a good example from your end I think um, I fully agree with everything you mentioned and it was a pleasure to to hear your your insights on the show and yeah I'm I'm really going to follow up uh, on on that uh, project of yours that you described in regards to the crypto fund and uh, wish you good luck for this. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Excellent. And thank you for having me and to the future of full digitization. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And uh, to our listeners, as always, um, thanks for for joining in, um, whether with audio or video. Um, If you have any questions in regards to, you know, investing into crypto assets, I'm sure you can reach out um, to Paul. And um, if you have questions in regards to, you know, any tokenization or amazing box related topics, you can always reach out to me. And otherwise I would say, see you guys next week. Thank you.